0: to Dreamful Podcast. Bedtime stories for slumber. I would like to start off this episode by thanking our newest Patreon supporter, Ashley Greenemeyer. Thank you so much, Ashley, and I hope you have the sweetest of dreams. A lot of work goes into the making of Dreamful, and if you find value in it and would like to help support us, please visit dreamfulstories.com. Where you can find info about the show, and on the support page, there's a link to become a Patreon subscriber. I felt it was time for another Patreon book giveaway. So to win a lovely edition of Sinbad the Sailor and other stories from the Arabian Nights, go to patreon.com slash podcast and become a member for as little as $1 and be automatically entered for the giveaway. I will draw a winner Friday, August 6th, 2021. My kids love listening to podcasts, especially the zany episodes of Bobby Wonder. Bobby is a 10-year-old that has just found out he's from another planet, has superpowers, and a diabolical villain is out to get him. Created by a New York Times best-selling children's author, produced by the Emmy Award-winning Go Kid Go team, and voiced by community star Danny Pudi, Bobby Wonder is one of the fastest-growing children's podcasts. And for good reason, with all the amazing adventures listeners are taking on. Join Bobby and his hilarious companion GrabStack on a mission to retrieve a priceless artifact hidden in the Snood Candy Factory, battle it out with 10,000 boulders, and more. Visit our sponsor at GoKidGo.com for more information and find Bobby Wonder on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I get messages from so many listeners that they have trouble sleeping because of past traumas, anxiety, panic attacks, or depression. That's why I am so thankful to be sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs with a quick and comprehensive survey and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. I was put in touch with my therapist in under 24 hours in a safe and private online environment with the convenience of skipping an uncomfortable waiting room and zero drive time. Send a message to your counselor anytime and receive timely and thoughtful responses, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions. This service is available for clients worldwide and you can find a licensed professional counselor that specializes in your specific needs, whether that be depression, sleeping, family conflicts, trauma, and much more. Best of all, it's more affordable than offline counseling and financial aid is available. Start living a happier life today. As a listener of Dreamful, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com dreamful. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, help spelled H-E-L-P dot com slash dreamful. For this episode, I told the Patreon members that I was in the mood for an adventure, so they chose Sinbad the Sailor, one of the epic and beloved stories from 1001 Arabian Nights. This will be part 1 of the story, and part 2 will be made available to Patreon and Apple subscription members next week. So snuggle up in your blankets and have sweet dreams. times of Harun al-Rashid, there lived in Baghdad a poor porter named Hindbad, who on a very hot day was sent to carry a heavy load from one end of the city to the other. Before he had walked half the distance, he was so tired that he sat down to rest in the shade of a grand house. He could not have chosen a pleasanter place, A delicious perfume of aloes wood and pastilles came from the open windows and mingled with the scent of the rose water, which steamed up from the hot pavement. Within the palace he heard some music, and by this, and the appetizing smell of many dainty dishes, he judged that feasting and merrymaking were going on he wondered who lived in this magnificent house which he had never seen before. The street in which it stood being one which he seldom had occasion to pass. To satisfy his curiosity, he went up to some splendidly dressed servants who stood at the door and asked one of them the name of the master of the mansion. What? replied the servant do you live in Baghdad and not know that here lives the noble Sinbad the sailor, that famous traveler who sailed over every sea upon which the sun shines. The porter, who had often heard people speak of the immense wealth of Sinbad, could not help feeling envious of one whose life seemed to be as happy as his own was miserable. Casting his eyes up to the sky, he exclaimed aloud, Every day I suffer a thousand hardships and misfortunes and have hard work to get even enough bad barley bread to keep myself and my family alive. While the lucky Sinbad spends money right and left and lives upon the fat of the land, what has he done that you should give him this pleasant life? What have I done to deserve so hard a fate? So saying he stamped upon the ground like one beside himself with misery and despair. Just at this moment, a servant came out of the palace, and taking him by the arm said, Come with me, the noble Sinbad wishes to speak to you. He followed the servant into a vast room, where a great company was seated round a table, covered with all sorts of delicacies. In the place of honor sat a tall, grave man, whose long white beard gave him a venerable air. This was the famous Sinbad himself. The porter, more than ever alarmed at the sight of so much magnificence, tremblingly saluted the noble company. Sinbad, making a sign to him to approach, caused him to be seated at his right hand and himself heaped choice morsels upon his plate and poured out for him a draught of excellent wine and presently when the banquet drew to a close spoke to him asking his name and occupation My lord replied the porter I am called Hindbad I am glad to see you here continued Sinbad, but I wish you would tell me what it was that you said just now in the street. For Sinbad, passing by the open window before the feast began, had heard the porter's complaint. At this question, Hindbad replied, My lord, I confess that, overcome by weariness and ill-humor, I uttered indiscreet words, which I pray you to forgive me. Oh, replied Sinbad, on the contrary, you appear to be mistaken about me, and I wish to set you right. You doubtless imagine that I have acquired all the wealth and luxury that you see me enjoy without difficulty or danger, but this is far indeed from being the case. I have only reached this happy state after having for years suffered every possible kind of toil and danger. Since you have, perhaps, heard but confused accounts, I will now give you a full and true account of them, which I think you will be pleased to hear. I had inherited considerable wealth from my parents, and being young and foolish, I had first squandered it recklessly upon every kind of pleasure. I sold all my household goods and joined a company of merchants who traded by sea, embarking with them at Balsora, We set sail and took our course towards the East Indies From time to time, we landed at various islands, where we sold or exchanged our merchandise. And one day, when the wind dropped suddenly, we found ourselves close to a small island like a green meadow, which only rose slightly above the surface of the water. Our sails were furled, and the captain gave permission to all who wished to land for a while and amuse themselves. I was among the number, but when after strolling about for some time, we lighted a fire and sat down to enjoy ourselves, we were startled by a sudden and violent trembling of the island. At the same moment, those left upon the ship cried out, bidding us to come on board for our lives, since what we had taken for an island was nothing but the back of a sleeping whale those who were nearest to the boat threw themselves into it, others sprang into the sea. But before I could save myself, the whale plunged suddenly into the depths of the ocean, leaving me clinging to a piece of the wood which we had brought to make our fire. Meanwhile a breeze had sprung up and in the confusion that ensued on board our vessel and hoisting the sails and taking up those who were in the boat and clinging to its sides. No one missed me, and I was left at the mercy of the waves. All that day I floated up and down, beaten this way, now that, and when night fell I despaired for my life. But weary and spent as I was, I clung to my frail support, and great was my joy when the morning light showed me that I had drifted against an island. The cliffs were high and steep, but luckily for me some tree roots protruded in places, and by them I climbed up at last and stretched myself upon the turf at the top, where I lay more dead than alive. When the sun was high in the heavens, I set out to explore the island. Presently, I reached a great plain where a grazing horse was tethered, and as I stood looking at it, I heard voices talking underground. And in a moment, a man appeared who asked me how I came upon the island. I told him my adventures and heard in return that he was one of the grooms of Mirage, the king of the island, and that each year they came to feed their master's horses in this plain. He took me to a cave where his companions were assembled, and when I had eaten of the food they set before me, they bade me think myself fortunate to have come upon them, for without their help I could certainly never have found my way to the inhabited part of the island. Early the next morning, we accordingly set out, and when we reached the capital, I was graciously received by the king, to whom I related my ventures, upon which he ordered that I should be well cared for and provided with such things as I needed. Being a merchant, I sought out men of my own profession, and particularly those who came from foreign countries. As I hoped in this way to hear news from Baghdad and to find out some means of returning there. One day, as I went down to the dock, I saw a ship which had just cast anchor and was discharging her cargo, while the merchants to whom it belonged were busily directing the removal of it to their warehouse. Drawing near, I presently noticed that my own name was marked upon some of the packages. I then recognized the captain of the vessel, but as I was certain that he believed me to be dead, I went up to him and asked who owned the packages that I was looking at. There was on board my ship, he replied, a merchant of Baghdad named Sinbad. One day he and several of my other passengers landed upon what we supposed to be an island, but which was really an enormous whale. Then it plunged into the depths of the sea. Several of the people who were upon it perished in the waters, and among those was Sinbad. This merchandise is his, but I have resolved to dispose of it for the benefit of his family if I ever meet with him. Captain, said I, I am that Sinbad whom you believe to be dead, and these are my possessions. Throwing himself upon my neck, he exclaimed, Heaven be praised that you have escaped from so great a danger. As to your goods, I pray you take them and dispose of them as you please. Of the choicest of my goods, I prepared a present for King Mirage, who was at first amazed, having known that I had lost all my possessions. However, when I had explained to him how my items had been miraculously restored to me, he graciously accepted my gifts, and in return, gave me many valuable things. I then took leave of him and exchanging my merchandise for sandal and aloes wood and many spices, I embarked upon the same vessel and traded so successfully upon our homeward voyage that I arrived in Balsora with about 100,000 sequins. My family received me with as much joy as I felt upon seeing them once more. I bought land and servants and built a great house in which I resolved to live happily, and in the enjoyment of all the pleasures of life, to forget my past sufferings. Here, Sinbad paused and commanded the musicians to play again while the feasting continued until evening. When the time came for the porter to depart, Sinbad gave him a purse containing one hundred sequins, saying, Take this, Hindbad, and go home. But tomorrow, come again, and you shall hear more of my adventures. The porter retired quite overcome by so much generosity, and you may imagine that he was well-received at home, where his wife and children thanked their lucky stars that he had found such a benefactor. The next day Hindabad, dressed in his best, returned to the voyager's house and was received with open arms. As soon as all the guests had arrived, the banquet began as before, and when they had feasted long and merrily, Sinbad addressed them thus. My friends, I beg that you will give me your attention while I relate the adventures of my second voyage, which you will find even more astonishing than the first. Though I had resolved to spend the rest of my days quietly in Baghdad, very soon I grew tired of such an idle life, and longed once more to find myself upon the sea. Therefore, I embarked for the second time in a good ship, with other merchants whom I knew to be honorable men. We went from island to island, often making excellent bargains, until one day we landed at a spot which though covered with fruit trees and abounding in springs of excellent water, appeared to possess neither houses nor people. While my companions wandered here and there, gathering flowers and fruit, I sat down in a shady place. And, having heartily enjoyed the food and wine I had brought with me, I fell asleep. How long I slept, I know not. But when I opened my eyes and started to my feet, I found that I was alone and that the ship was gone. I wished bitterly that I had been contented to stay at home in safety. But since wishes could do me no good, I took courage and looked about me for a means of escape. When I had climbed a tall tree, I directed my anxious glances toward the sea, but finding nothing hopeful there, I turned landward and saw a huge, dazzling white object so far off that I could not make out what it might be. I hastily collected what remained of my provisions and set off as fast as I could go towards it. As I drew near, it seemed to me to be a white ball of immense size and height. And when I could touch it, I found it marvelously smooth and soft. Quite suddenly, it fell dark. Something like a huge black cloud came swiftly over me, and I saw with amazement that it was a bird of extraordinary size, which was hovering near. Then it occurred to me that the white object which had so puzzled me must be its egg. The bird settled slowly down upon it, and I cowered close beside the egg in such a position that one of the bird's feet, which was as large as the trunk of a tree, was just in front of me. Taking off my turban, I bound myself securely to it with the linen in the hope that the bird when it took flight next morning, would bear me away with it from the desolate island. And this was precisely what did happen. As soon as the dawn appeared, the bird rose into the air, carrying me up and up till I could no longer see the earth. And then suddenly it descended so swiftly that I almost lost consciousness. When I was once again upon solid ground, I hastily unbound my turban from its foot and freed myself. And not a moment too soon, for the bird, pouncing upon a huge snake, killed it with a few blows from its powerful beak, and seizing it up, rose into the air once more and disappeared from my view. The valley in which I found myself was deep and narrow, and surrounded by mountains which towered into the clouds. As I wandered about, I observed that the ground was strewn with diamonds, some of them an astonishing size. This sight gave me great pleasure, but my delight was speedily dampened when I saw many horrible snakes, so long and so large, that the smallest of them could have swallowed an elephant with ease. All day long, I wandered up and down the valley, and when it grew dusk, I crept into a little cave, and having blocked up the entrance to it with a stone, I ate part of my little store of food and lay down to sleep. But all through the night, the serpents crawled to and fro, hissing horribly. When the morning light appeared, and the serpents had retreated to their dens, I came out of my cave and wandered up and down the valley once more, kicking the diamonds contemptuously out of my path, for I felt that they were indeed vain things to a man in my situation. At last, overcome with weariness, I sat down upon a rock, but I had hardly closed my eyes when I was startled by something which fell to the ground with a thud close beside me. It was a huge piece of fresh meat, and as I stared at it, several more pieces rolled over the cliffs in different places. I'd always thought that the stories the sailors told of the famous Valley of Diamonds and of the cunning way which some of the merchants had devised for getting at the precious stones were mere travelers' tales but now I perceived that they were surely true. These merchants came to the valley at the time when the eagles, which kept their eyries on the rocks, had hatched their young. The merchants then threw great lumps of meat into the valley. These, falling with so much force upon the diamonds, were sure to take up some of the precious stones with them. And the eagles pounced upon the meat and carried it off to their nests to feed their hungry broods. Then the merchants, scaring away the parent birds with shouts and outcries, would take the diamonds that had stuck to the meat. Until this moment, I looked upon the valley as my grave, but now I took courage and began to devise a means of escape. I began by picking up all the largest diamonds I could find and storing them carefully in the leather satchel. I then took the large piece of meat, bound it firmly to my back with my turban and laid down upon my face, awaiting the coming of the eagles. I soon heard the flapping of their mighty wings above me and feeling one of them seize upon my piece of meat and me with it, I rose slowly towards his nest into which he presently dropped me. Luckily for me, the merchants were on the watch, and setting up their usual outcries they rushed to the nest, scaring away the eagle. Their amazement was great when they discovered me, and also their disappointment when they accused me for having robbed them of their usual profit. Addressing myself to the one who seemed most aggrieved, I said, I am sure if you knew all that I have suffered, you would show more kindness towards me. And as for diamonds, I have enough here for the very best of you and me and all your company. So saying, the others all crowded round me, wondering at my adventures and admiring how I had escaped from the valley, and when they had led me to their camp and examined my diamonds, they assured me that in all the years they had carried out their trade, they had seen no stones to be compared with them for size and beauty. I stayed with a merchant several days, and then as they were journeying homewards, I gladly accompanied them. We sailed to the Isle of Rohat, where I exchanged one of my diamonds for much goodly merchandise by which I profited greatly on our way home. At last we reached Balsora, once I hastened to Baghdad, where my first action was to bestow large sums of money upon the poor, after which I settled down to enjoy tranquilly the riches I had gained with so much toil and pain. Having thus related the adventures of his second voyage, Sinbad again bestowed a hundred sequins upon Hindbad, inviting him to come again on the following day and hear how he fared upon his third voyage. The other guests also departed to their homes, but all returned at the same hour the next day, including the porter, whose former life of hard work and poverty had already begun to seem to him like a bad dream. Again after the feast was over, did Sinbad claim the attention of his guests and began the account of his third voyage. After a very short time, The pleasant, easy life I led made me quite forget the perils of my two voyages. Moreover, as I was still in the prime of my life, it pleased me better to be up and doing. So once more providing myself with the rarest and choicest merchandise of Baghdad, I conveyed it to Balsora and set sail with other merchants of my acquaintance for distant lands. We had touched at many ports and made much profit when one day upon the open sea we were caught by a terrible wind which blew us completely out of our reckoning and lasting for several days finally drove us into harbor on a strange island i would rather have come to anchor anywhere than here quoth our captain This island and all adjoining it are inhabited by hairy savages who are certain to attack us and whatever these dwarves may do we dare not resist since they swarm like locusts and if one of them is killed, the rest will fall upon us and speedily make an end of us." These words caused great consternation amongst all the ship's company and only too soon we were to find out that the captain spoke truly. There appeared a vast multitude of hideous savages, not more than two feet high and covered with reddish fur, throwing themselves into the waves they surrounded our vessel, chattering meanwhile in a language we could not understand and clutching at ropes and gangways, they swarmed up the ship's side with such speed and agility that they almost seemed to fly. You may imagine the rage and terror that seized us as we watched them, neither daring to hinder them nor able to speak a word to deter them from their purpose, whatever it might be. Hoisting the sails and cutting the cable of the anchor, they sailed our vessel to an island, which lay a little further off, where they drove us ashore. Then taking possession of her, they made off to the place from which they had come, leaving us helpless upon a shore. Turning away from the sea, we wandered miserably inland, finding as we went various herbs and fruits which we ate feeling that we might as well live as long as possible, though we had no hope of escape. Presently, we saw in the far distance what seemed to us to be a splendid palace, and we walked toward it. When we reached it, we saw that it was a castle, lofty and strongly built. Pushing back the heavy ebony doors, we entered the courtyard But upon the threshold of the great hall beyond it we paused, frozen with horror, at the sight which greeted us. On one side lay a huge pile of bones, human bones, and on the other numberless spits for roasting. Overcome with despair, we sank trembling to the ground and lay there without speech or motion. The sun was setting when a loud noise aroused us. The door of the hall was violently burst open, and a horrible giant entered. He was as tall as a palm tree, and had one eye, which flamed like a burning coal in the middle of his forehead. His teeth were long and sharp, and grinned horribly, while his lower lip hung down upon his chest and he had ears like an elephant which covered his shoulders and nails like the claws of some fierce bird. At this terrible sight, our senses left us and we lay like dead men. After the giant had eaten, he lay down to sleep, snoring like the loudest thunder while we lay shivering with horror the whole night through. And when day broke, he awoke and went out, leaving us in the castle. When we believed him to be really gone, I unfolded a plan of escape to my comrades, which they at once agreed to attempt. Listen, my brothers, I added, you know that plenty of driftwood lies along the shore. Let us make several rafts and carry them to a suitable place. If our plot succeeds, we can wait patiently for the chance of some passing ship which would rescue us from this fatal island. If it fails, we must quickly take to our rafts, frail as they are. We have more chance of saving our lives with them than we have if we remain here. All agreed with me, and we spent the day building rafts each capable of carrying three persons. At nightfall we returned to the castle, and very soon in came the giant. As soon as he had lay down to sleep as before, and when we heard him begin to snore, I and nine of the boldest of my comrades rose softly and took each a spit, which we made red-hot in the fire And then, at a given signal, we plunged them into the giant's eye, completely blinding him. Uttering a terrible cry, he sprang to his feet, fumbled about till he found the door, and fled out of it howling frightfully. As for us, when he was gone, we made haste to leave the fatal castle and, stationing ourselves beside our rafts, we waited to see what would happen. The morning light showed us our enemy approaching us, supported on either hand by two giants, nearly as large and fearful as himself, while a crowd of others followed close upon their heels. Hesitating no longer, we clambered upon our rafts and rowed with all our might out to sea. The giants, seeing their prey escaping them, seized up huge pieces of rock, and wading into the water, hurled them after us with such good aim that all the rafts except the one I was upon were swamped, and their luckless crews drowned. Indeed, I and my two companions had all we could do to keep our raft beyond the reach of the giants, but we at last gained the open sea. Here we were at the mercy of the winds and waves, which tossed us to and fro all that day and night. But the next morning we found ourselves near an island, upon which we gladly landed. There we found delicious fruits and having satisfied our hunger, we presently lay down to rest upon the shore. Suddenly, we were aroused by a loud rustling noise, and starting up, saw that it was caused by an immense snake which was gliding towards us over the sand. So swiftly it came that it had seized one of my comrades before he had time to fly. By this time, my other companion and I were running for our lives to some place where we might hope to be safe. And seeing a tall tree, we climbed up into it, having first provided ourselves with a store of fruit off the surrounding bushes. When night came, I fell asleep, but only to be awakened once more by the terrible snake, which, after hissing horribly around the tree, at last reared itself up against it and finding my sleeping comrade who was perched just below me, it swallowed him also and crawled away leaving me alone. When the sun rose, I crept down from the tree with hardly a hope of escaping the dreadful fate which had overtaken my comrades. I crawled down to the sea Feeling that it would be better to plunge from the cliffs and end my life at once than pass such another night of horror. But to my joy and relief, I saw a ship sailing by, and by shouting wildly and waving my turban, I managed to attract the attention of her crew. A boat was sent to rescue me, and very soon I found myself on board, surrounded by a wandering crowd of sailors and merchants eager to know by what chance I found myself in that desolate island. After I had told my story, they regaled me with the choicest food the ship afforded, and the captain, seeing that I was in rags, generously bestowed upon me one of his own coats. After sailing about for some time, and touching at many ports, we came at last to the island of Salahat. Here we anchored, and as I stood watching the merchants disembarking their goods and preparing to sell or exchange them, the captain came up to me and said, I have here some merchandise belonging to a passenger of mine who is dead. Will you do me the favor to trade with it? And when I meet with his heirs, I shall be able to give them money in the name of Simbad the Sailor. At this, I was greatly surprised, but looking carefully at him, I recognized him to be the captain of the ship, upon which I had made my second voyage, though he had changed much since that time. As for him, believing me to be dead, it was no wonder that he had not recognized me. So, Captain, said I, the merchant who owned these parcels was called Sindbad. "'Yes,' he replied. "'He joined my ship at Belsora, "'but by mischance he was left behind upon a desert island "'where we had landed to fill our water casks, "'and it was not until four hours later that he was missed. "'By that time the wind had changed, "'and it was impossible to go back for him.' "'You suppose him to have perished then?' said I. "'Alas, yes.' he answered. "'Why, Captain,' I cried, "'look at me. "'I am that Sinbad who fell asleep "'upon the island "'and awoke to find himself abandoned.' "'The captain stared at me in amazement, "'but was presently convinced "'that I was indeed speaking the truth "'and rejoiced greatly at my escape. "'I am glad to have this off my conscience.' said he. Now take your goods and the profit I have made for you upon them and may you prosper in the future. I took them gratefully and as we went from one island to another I laid in stores of cloves, cinnamon and other spices. So I returned to Baghdad with so much money that I could not myself count it. Besides treasures without end, I gave largely to the poor, and bought much land to add to what I already possessed, and thus ended my third voyage.